Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Three giant unions joined to organize at Delta, latest on the UAW talks. And today on the show, as part of Suicide Prevention Week, we hear what two unions are doing. Smart, the Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transit Union, and the United Soccer League. Welcome to the Tuesday, September 12th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Chris Carlo is going to be our first guest on the show today. Chris is a proud member of Smart Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transit Union. Also, he has worked as a union organizer, educator, and advocate for his union for four decades. Can you believe that? 40 years. Chris continues to work hard for all stakeholders in the unionized construction and transportation industries, and he has made it his mission to develop a network of support for members and their families facing substance abuse, thoughts of suicide, and mental health issues. And this is one of several segments we are doing on the show today, two today, as a matter of fact, dealing with the subject because this week is Suicide Prevention Week. Drawing upon his own personal experience, and Chris is going to talk about that, his own experience with addiction and recovery, along with the team at Smart Map, and he's going to talk about the Smart Map program. They're building a network of trained, compassionate union members, brothers and sisters, and the very best mental health professionals who offer support, guidance, and referrals for union members, as well as their families struggling with a variety of mental health issues. The mental health problem in America and the world is astronomical, and the pandemic just made it worse. Anywhere between one in four and one in five people suffer from a mental health problem in America. And suicide is very, very common in the trades. Compared to the general population, it's three to four times higher. And we talked about that in depth yesterday with Dr. Sally. If you missed that show, Check it out. It's awfpodcast.com because she's working with the sheet metal workers, with the iron workers, and various other unions on this issue. So Chris is going to talk about uh, substance abuse and suicide, early intervention through peer-led training and mentoring. He'll give us some examples there. And uh, some of the mental health resources, which he says can be tricky to find. As he put it, don't just Google Treatment centers near me. That's not the way to handle this. No, 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 no. So he's going to be our first guest. Our second guest is Connor Tobin. Connor is executive director of the Soccer League Players Association. And the website is uslplayers.org. This is a group that was founded in January of 2018. So they're only about five years old. In November, the following year, The United Soccer League formally recognized the USLPA as the collective bargaining agent for the USL championship players as authorized by 
USL Championship players. February 2020, United Soccer League formally recognized the USLPA as the collective bargaining agent for all League One players. The USLPA represents all players in either league who are party to a USL standard player contract. And so, I mean, look at this timeline here. January 2018, they're founded. And two years ago, September of 2021, the league and the USLPA reached an agreement in principle on a collective bargaining agreement. And they had the help of the Communication Workers of America. So we'll talk briefly about that. And uh, we'll talk about their on-rise telehealth provider that they partnered with to provide pro soccer players access to mental health programs. And that just happened a couple of months ago in, uh, in May. The differences, says Connor, of team psychologists versus a psychologist from on rise. He'll explain the difference there and how it's been helping the players and the organization as well. So Connor Tobin, executive director, of the Soccer League Players Association, USLplayers.org, for more information there. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Three unions, big ones, I might add. The Association of Flight Attendants, which is affiliated with the CWA, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, and the Teamsters are all teaming up for an innovative campaign to organize 50,000 workers at Delta. Now, the company has long been a target for union organizers. Its workforce is only 20% unionized, compared to an average of 80% at other U.S. airlines. Big difference there. Well, many airline workers are covered by the National Railway Act, which requires a majority of all employees who perform similar work nationwide at a company to vote for a union rather than just a majority at a single airport. So there is a pretty high hurdle here. That means the three unions are organizing Delta employees at 46 locations, 46 Chris Daniel is a strategic organizer and trainer at the Georgia AFL-CIO. Chris says, the thing that I'm excited about from Georgia's perspective is that it's not just labor who's involved. It's community. It's clergy. Because everybody understands the historic significance of Delta having their hub being here in Atlanta and being one of the last vestiges of the unorganized major airline carriers. That's going to be an interesting campaign. Delta has been notoriously, notoriously anti-union. And think about that. 20% unionized compared to an average of 80% at all other U.S. airlines. Well, here's the latest on the UAW. The UAW and the big three automakers, GM, Ford, and Stellantis, still still remain far apart on key issues as september 14th two days away 11:59 this thursday that's when the agreements expire sean fang president of uaw announced they will strike if the companies fail to reach agreement with the union by that deadline now they're pushing for a 46 percent pay raise that's over four years 
for almost 150,000 workers in the face of soaring company profits and wages that have been pretty much stagnant. Now, as we reported on this show, bargaining very slow, leading UAW to file a complaint with the Labor Board alleging that the companies are not adequately fulfilling their legal obligation to bargain. On Friday, Stellantis presented its first proposal. Finally, I mean, come on, where were you guys? Offering the union a 14.5% wage increase for most represented employees. That's interesting. UAW responded by posting a flyer on Twitter stating that Stellantis is by far the richest of the big three automakers, but they don't want Stellantis workers to get our fair share. The flyer also showed that Stellantis' proposal did not meet any of the UAW's other key demands, including ending the tiered wage system, restoring pensions and retiree health care, increasing retiree pay, reinstituting cost of living adjustments tied to inflation, the right to strike over plant closures, and increased pay time off. Ford and GM offered even lower wage increases on Friday, 9% and 10% respectively. Fain called GM's offer insulting. I mean, think about this, 9-10% over four years? Come on. The electrification of the auto industry has been a major, major uh, issue in these talks. Stellantis defended its offer in a letter from their chief operating officer, Mark Stewart, stating that the company is providing good jobs while protecting its ability to continue to compete globally in an industry that is rapidly transitioning to electric vehicles. Now, mind you. While the Inflation Reduction Act tied subsidies for electrification to domestic manufacturing and prevailing wages, the shift to EV will also render obsolete the need for engines and transmissions, which, by the way, account for about half of domestic vehicle manufacturing capacity. On top of that, Many of the new EV and battery manufacturing plants announced since the IRA's passage are being built in right-to-work states. And Tesla, which is the largest EV company, has a non-union workforce. So these negotiations will help determine the impact of the transition to EVs for U.S. workers. And Sean Fain said this, our union is not going to stand by while they replace oil barons with battery barons. Add to all this, UAW workers who were hired after 2007, and I didn't realize this, they do not receive defined benefit pensions. Their health benefits are less generous on top of it. Now, for years, the union gave up general pay raises and Lost cost of living wage increases to help the company control costs. And going back to the, like 2007, 2008, 2009 recession. Though top scale assembly workers earn $32.32 an hour, the temporary workers start at just under 17 bucks. Still, full-time workers have received profit-sharing checks ranging this year from just under 10000 at Ford to uh, close to 15000 at Stellantis. 
Sean Fain argues that the uh, richly profitable automakers can afford to raise workers' pay significantly and make up for what the union gave up to help the companies withstand the recession that I just talked about. And again, I keep repeating this because it's got to sink into some people. Over the uh, past decade, the Detroit Three have emerged as robust profit makers. They've collectively posted net income of $164 billion, $20 billion of that this year. And all the CEOs, they got 40% plus pay raises. What's good for the goose should be good for the gander, right? All right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the smart union, Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transit. This is Suicide Prevention Week, what they are doing to prevent it. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. And you can find more about them at oh.aft.org. Let's go to line number one. Joining us from Rockville, Maryland today is Chris Carlo. Rockville, by the way, just outside of Washington, D.C. Chris is with the Smart Union, and this is a diverse union. Sheet metal, bus operators, mechanical operators, drafting, freight rail, passenger rail, HVAC, refrigeration, roofing, shipyard, sign fabrication, and... uh, Today we're going to talk about uh, mental health and suicide prevention. And uh, SMART is one of many unions that's taking the lead on this. And Chris has a very powerful story to share. I mean, he's been uh, in the union for almost 40 years now. And uh, he'll talk about his background here and talk about this because it's Suicide Prevention Week. And we're 
Checking in with various unions. He's one of two today. Later in the show, we're going to check in with the Soccer League Players Association, see what they're doing with suicide and mental health. Chris Garlow, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. And I like to, uh, when I bring a new guest on, like to find out how you got involved, first of all, in your union. But you were telling me off the air it was actually a family business that you didn't want to be a part of. <laughs> You're not alone. Oh in that. no, no, I don't know. If I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually go that far. But I, you know, when you when you're trying to find your own way when you're younger, you know, you um, you know, you you branch out into your own path. And um, but yeah, my um, my father and grandfather were both uh, national union um, officers. They were actually presidents of the union. My grandfather was actually somebody who um, was the first construction labor leader in the country to negotiate health and welfare and pension benefits for his members in New York City. And, uh, you know, it was kind of interesting. He he would tell the story that, you know, he would be in his office as a business manager uh, in Manhattan, and he would notice members that were getting ready to go out to work, and the retirees would come in and be bumming uh, money off of their kids for um, for cigarettes. He would say, uh, you know, that's not dignified, you know, and he uh, started a pension uh, to, um, to to put a little tobacco money in the pockets of his retirees. And, of course, that, uh, you know, um, blossomed into his, you know, great benefits for retired uh, members to be able to have a dignified, uh, uh, you know, retirement. Uh, uh-huh. My dad was, was, uh, was the president for 23 years and did a lot of um, amazing uh, things. Um, and, and so I've, I've kind of found um, my place uh, within the union, uh, worked as an organizer for about 20 years, uh, was education director for about uh, 16 or so. And for the last year and a half, I've been doing uh, work in and around mental health for our members and their families. I understand too. You uh, you had some challenges in your life. Are you uh, willing to share some of those challenges, oh, yeah. with, challenges with our audience? Yeah. Go go yeah, ahead. Of course, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. Uh, been in recovery for most of my adult life. Um, you know, it's one of those things that um, you, you you deny it. You have uh, um, you know you 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 just make your life painful and. Um, I, I had a lot of people that came uh, and helped me when I was younger. Um, I ended up relapsing in the summer of 2001. So I'm actually coming up on a little bit later this month. I'll be 20 years back in the program. And, um, and, and, and so, so yeah, I mean, I, it's pretty personal uh, to me. And when I have the opportunity, and I've been finding that a lot more lately as I put myself out there to help people, that are in the place or similar places to where I was. Um, I try to be that person that, uh, that helped me so many years ago. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one, but uh, congratulations to you on uh, uh, almost 20 years here. That's, uh, that's quite an, an accomplishment, so my hat's off to you. And obviously you've helped a lot of people along the way. So let, let's get into what, uh, what your union, and we should point out that uh, – we're talking about the Sheet Metal Occupational Health Institute that Chris is involved in. So maybe a little little uh, background on this. Is this something that, that's smart? The the national leaders decided to put together. Is this recent? Goes back a couple of years? What's the story yeah, there? Yeah, so I would say um, as education director, <clears throat> one of the things we wanted to do is is build a uh, an advanced business representatives training. And in that, um, we wanted to put a section in on how do we go about representing our members that are going through crisis? Because for all union representatives, you think the job is one thing until you get the job and then you realize, oh, 
Well, yeah, sure. It's about jurisdiction. It's about uh, finding work. It's about keeping the job safe and negotiations and all of that. Um, but then you're going to get calls where you might not have experience or a, a way to, to help somebody. Um, you get a call that uh, members uh, have struggled with alcohol or um, somebody who's experiencing a mental health crisis. I mean, and if you don't have any experience, I don't know, what do you do? So we wanted to put some training in and around that. So we did this about 10 years ago. Uh, and and really, it, it didn't matter how much we were talking about it. Uh, the people that, uh, that we were training in and around wanted more, right? So we're doing four hours in a four-day training. Now we're doing you know a full day. Now we're making its own training. And so it's kind of uh, uh, mushroomed into um, a full-on uh, North American mental health training program with peer components and, and a whole bunch of really cool stuff. So it's it sounds like it's grown over that time. And I just wanted to fast forward during the pandemic. You know, we had a lot of shutdowns. How did that affect the workers in your respective union, the, the sheet metal, air, rail, transportation union, transit union? Yeah, I, you know, I would say that, um, like everybody, um, was uh, adversely affected with um, the isolation and the uncertainty, um, it was pretty dismal uh, for for us in, in the country and in the world. And, and so I don't think we were any different. I, I think we had um, yeah, we had uh, the quick turn to online, like a lot of people, and we struggled with that a little bit, like everyone else. And, and, and we found our way in terms of being able to reach out and help people. Um, virtually, uh, but but for sure, I, I think that when we when we're looking at coming out of the pandemic, and one of the things that a lot of us in mental health um, recognize is that what it, what what COVID did, what what the pandemic did, was it allowed us to be able to express. Um, our mental health and despair and be able to reach out for help, right? It's okay to not be okay. I mean, there was a lot of, um, it became the lexicon of, uh, of our country. And, and I think that uh, that actually helps because even today um, in, in construction and in, in some of the related industries, it's, um, it, it's still hard for some of our people to, uh, to ask for help. And, yeah. and and so that's really where where it kind of starts with us. Chris, I'm really glad you brought that up. We had a really good conversation, and I'm sure you know her. Dr. Sally, we had her on the show yesterday. Oh, yeah, I You're know fa- Dr. Sally. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, that was such a good conversation. Those of you who missed it, go to uh, com. Uh, how did you link up with her on this? I know, I know she's zeroed in. On your union, the sheet metal workers, she's working with the iron workers. I know she's yeah. uh, she's working with the electrical workers as well. But it's important that we target, especially the trades, because, well, you know, you get injured on the job. Next thing you know, there's prescription drugs. And then there's a lot. There's this attitude that, oh, you know what? I'm a tough guy. I can handle just about anything. Uh, leave me alone. I, I'm sure you're familiar with that, aren't you? Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and, and back to, to Dr. Sally, we, uh, um, we crossed paths at, at an event maybe um, eight years ago, something like that. And a piece that I didn't have in our training was suicide prevention. And when I heard her, um, I immediately approached her and, and asked her if she'd be interested in, in hooking her, her wagon to our train. And, uh, and, and we've been together for, uh, for that, uh, that many years. 
Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, you, you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, construction being a, uh, an industry, like a lot of, uh, physical, um, occupations are going to have, uh, injuries. And so, yeah, there is some of that, or there is the, um, um, uh, the, the, the stoic, uh, tough guy mentality that, that goes on, not asking for help, uh, rub some dirt on it kind of a thing. Um, it, but there's also people that are coming into the trade, um, that have, uh, that have emotional pain that have, that have trauma, childhood trauma, past trauma, post traumatic stress disorder coming from the military and other places. And that is also another area that people try and, um, um, kill that pain. Uh, people don't like pain. I don't like pain. And, uh, you know, having to walk through it in a, uh, in a sober way can be difficult. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people, it's not just the, that's the point I guess I'm trying to make is it's not just the, um, you know, people getting hurt and because we have that and we have them, um, on the opiates and, and they're highly addictive, of course, um, or more and more has been, been written and, and spoke about that over the last five, seven years or so. Um, but, but there's more of it that, that comes into it, you know, take a look at uh, the industry and construction where there's a lot of isolation. People are traveling, especially now. We have mega projects going on all over the country where people will be picking up from their home support systems and they'll be moving for two or three years to a job site where they don't know people, they don't have resources and things like that. And, um, you know, that's one of the things that we're doing over at our uh, labor management uh, health and safety trust fund, SMOHIT, uh, Sheet Metal Occupational Health Institute Trust. Uh, we actually have somebody going to some of these uh, um, areas and looking for mental health resources. So if you're somebody that's in recovery and you want to know where the good AA meetings are, for instance, um, we'll have a list of, of uh, recommended meetings and other support that you can have while you're away from home. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That website that uh, Chris referenced is S-M-O-H-I-T, SMOHIT. S-M-O-H-I-T dot O-R-G. Chris Carlo joining us on our live line today with the Sheet Metal Occupational Health Institute. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Connor Tobin. Connor is executive director of the USL Players Association. That's the Soccer Players Association. He, too, is going to talk about mental health issues in the field of soccer. It's all part of America's Workforce. Back in a few. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today 
Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. And thank you for listening to America's Workforce. We got new data announced this uh, last week or the week before. Where we are now in the top 1%. Top 1% of all podcasts. There's 2 million podcasts. In the world today, and we're in the top 1%. And about eight, nine months ago, we're in the top 15%. So thank you for helping grow America's workforce. Looking forward to more growth in the months and years ahead. Let's go back to our live line, rejoin Chris Carlo. Chris is with the Sheet Metal Occupational Health Institute website, smohit.org. This is Suicide Prevention Week. Chris is a proud member of SMART. He's worked as a union organizer, educator, and advocate for his union for almost 40 years. He's in recovery for about 20 years now. Chris, I want to talk about early intervention through uh, what they call peer-led training and mentoring to make sure that workers find the resources they need. There's a lot of stuff out there, but you got to zero in on what helps the individual. And everybody's different. Everybody's different. Can you uh, can you reflect on this and, and maybe give me give me some examples of what? And you've been doing this for over ten years now. So uh, go ahead and give me some examples on this, Chris. Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, when we when we're getting to the place that's going to be most effective, we've done awareness training. So we've been doing training in, in uh, mental health and education to everybody on the apprenticeship side, apprenticeship coordinators and instructors to uh, the union leadership side, the managers and agents, uh, organizers. And, and really, the, the pivot was to our rank and file where if you have if you're having a, an issue with, let's say, substance use. You might not reach out to your apprenticeship coordinator. You might not reach out to your business agent uh, because you're trying to protect that job. You know, and, and, and when you're in active addiction, the job is really important for two reasons. One, obviously, you, you need you need money to to um, to go party. Right. Um, but the second and it's even more important is it's the thing that allows you to deny that you have a problem. In other words, you might be having issues everywhere in, in your world and your your significant other is, is you know, they got problems here, make your kids. Um, but if you're at work and work doesn't seem to have a problem with you, then you're good. Then now the problem is just everybody else around you. So, so you might not go to somebody that might uh, have adverse effect to your employment. So, but so we're trying to train as many members as we can. People that um, that that have. Um, trust and credibility and, 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 and they, and some empathy and heart, right. And they care. 
right? And so we train them in and around uh, a few different things, right? So early intervention is being able to spot the problem. Sometimes when you are people that are in recovery, which are a lot of people that raise their hands to be a part of peer training, um, if you're in recovery, you're going to be able to recognize some of this stuff in some of the lies that go on because they're the same ones that you told and they're doing some of the same things that you used to do. Um, and, uh, and, and so, so it's, it's about that. It's about helping get the member the resource and help that they need. And that'd be the first piece. The second piece would be understanding what the benefits look like, right? So, um, what is it like to, um, get somebody into treatment? What does your insurance pay for? Um, what does that whole process look like? And so we, we give them a little bit of a, uh, backing on that and then like the follow-up piece this is this is where somebody maybe went away to a treatment center and they're coming back out and and you know this is really probably one of the most critical roles that a peer can have because you know when somebody people don't go into treatment um on a winning streak so to speak right i mean when they're going into treatment everything in their world has just burnt down and when they're coming out of treatment it's the wreckage is still there and so uh, it, it's it, it's really that's where there's this high recidivism rate um there's a lot of relapse and, and um if if the treatment center is doing their job and uh and and they're coming out with a good foundation um just having people around that might you know, people might be going out after work. Maybe there's maybe there's some people in recovery and, and that they're going to a 12 step meeting and uh, and they'll reach out and they'll support the person that way because it can be pretty lonely when you're coming back out. And uh, and so with all of those things, the early intervention, the understanding, the benefits and the follow up, that's the core of our, our peer mentoring. And we've been doing it uh, nationwide, uh, local by local. Uh, since uh, I, I would say since the, the right the year before the pandemic, and so we did get uh, we were doing a lot of uh, awareness training, um, but the pivot came in uh, 2019, and so we started to really connect in a lot with our members and building this peer network. Let's talk about that a little more, if you don't mind. When you asked for members to become mentors, you know peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were they accepting of that right away? Do they realize, okay, uh, well, and there's some people that are, are cut out for it. Some people are not cut out. I, I get that mm-hmm. part. But on, yeah. on the whole, yeah. how would you judge that? Oh, man, I, I would say on the whole, it's uh, it, it's been kind of glorious, man. I mean, people that have, you know, our people are great. Uh, the men and women of our union, and I would say uh, say this of, of all the trades and all the labor movement, it's it's kind of like a core value. I mean, we're taking care of each other, and and so when you have that added extra life experience that you can uh, put to help a member that is really struggling with something, uh, and it could be anything. I mean, it could be something that's going through a divorce. I mean, breaking up of a primary relationship is incredibly stressful and painful. And and so like having somebody that's gone through that that isn't like hey yeah yeah I did that it's not a not a big deal it's 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 the other thing it's like it's like feel you know like uh, like Brene Brown says empathy is feeling with people and so it it's uh, it's and I don't even know what to tell you right now but I'm just glad you told me and I'm yeah. and I here to walk with you you know and I think that that kind of that kind of interaction is so important and and the people that are raising their hand to be a part of this most of the time they they're there man they get it then and they might have already been doing some of this kind of work um outside of the the um you know their their union work environment so so that part is is really important now sometimes 
sometimes people are coming to peer trainings because what they're really doing is they're asking for help. And, and that's cool too. I mean, we've had uh, peer trainings this year where we've actually put people into treatment that, uh, that, sh- that showed up to help and were actually needing some help, which was great. You know, I mean, yeah. we want to try and cast a net. And I, let me just say one more thing about the, the whole the peer setup is I think it's really important. Um, resources. Um, resources are super important. Um, and there's a lot of bad ones out there. You know, that you mentioned off air, um, one of the things that I, I like to say, do not Google treatment center near me. And this is this is for sure true because some of the worst actors uh, pop up, you know, it's their paid ads. Right. Um, and, and so one of the things that we are getting our local unions to do is like when we have a peer training and it's a two day peer in, in local training. What we'll do is we will invite the employee assistance program, and a lot of our local unions have them. We'll invite them to the training to participate. And that's for a couple of reasons. We want to know what they're telling our members and our local unions, um, and we're assessing them as we move along. And we're noticing that some of them, um, they could be a lot better (laughs) at their jobs. And um, I, I think that it, the nature of employee assistance programs um, can can be to um, to under to be underutilized. I, mean, I think they're designed to be underutilized, and I think that's where the, uh, the the more thoughtful and active approach of our members assistance program uh, is is more effective for our local unions. Is as we um, we're not waiting uh, in a lot of instances for the situation to be um, untenable. What we're doing is we're 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 working on this early intervention piece and getting people into the the treatment centers that have been vetted by our people. Uh, by our experts, actually, uh, yeah. to to be the best uh, the best in the country. Yeah, treatment centers have become big business. Let's be honest, just like anything else. And I could share with you a story. There's there's a perception out there, and you know this, Chris, that oh well, all right, I have a drinking problem, I have a drug problem. I'll go to a treatment center, and I'll come back, and, and when I get out, everything's going to be fine. Far from it. Far from it. Because there's people that relapse. I was with an individual just last week, and it was a mom who was addicted to drugs. She finally got some treatment. When she got out, like two days later, she helped somebody rob a bank, rob a bank to get money to buy drugs. So you have to wonder, okay, nothing nothing worked in that treatment center? But, <laughs> I mean, this is a very complicated issue. Maybe they did try everything, but there's there's deeper problems with people. And it takes, and the good thing is, with your case, you got union brothers and sisters. Dr. Sally talked about this on the show yesterday, and I'm sure you've had some conversations with her. Unions pretty much have a head start on this when, when it comes to helping people, don't they? No. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like it's in our DNA. You know, I mean, this is, uh, it, it, it's always been a looking out for your brother and sister uh, movement. You know, it, it doesn't always work out that way. I mean, we, we, we live in the, in the real world, but I really feel like the core at the center of our, our hearts, uh, we have, uh, we, we have that, that responsibility and that desire to, to, to look out for uh, for each other, I, I think it comes from from the fights of having to organize and stay uh, or, uh, relevant in in today's workforce. Um, it's that fight that that has us linking up and 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 puts us in a place to help people. It's in particular with issues around mental health. Yep, organizing that's a fight that will continue, and I understand you did a pretty good job of that for many years as a <laughs> as a union organizer. 
That's another issue. That's another issue. Yeah, but Chris, that was thank- another. That was another lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> long time ago. Long time ago. Right on. Chris Carlo. Chris is the program coordinator for Smart Map. Map stands for Members Assistance Program. Okay, and uh, he's with the Sheet Metal Occupational Health Institute. Here's the website you want to go to. It's uh, S M O H I T dot O R G. Smohit. S M O H I T dot O R G. Chris. Great conversation. Congratulations on 20 years of uh, staying sober. That's an accomplishment in itself. And on top of that, you got a great program to help members out, whether it's a mental health situation, contemplating suicide. I mean, this is Suicide Prevention Week. You, you, uh, you did a great job explaining these issues to our audience. So you stay safe, stay strong, and stay in touch, okay? Appreciate you, Flash. Thanks, everybody. All right, we're going to take a quick break. The conversation will continue on suicide prevention. Coming up next, Connor Tobin will be joining us from the Soccer League Players Association back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ULAgency.org, for more information. Let's go to line number two right now. And joining us is Connor Tobin. Connor is executive director of the USL Players Association. That's a soccer league. And the website is uslplayers.org. He's going to talk about the association and also their partnership with uh, OnRise Telehealth. And they were partnered to provide soccer players access to mental health programs. Connor Tobin, welcome to America's Workforce. We should also point out that they are affiliated with the Communication Workers of America, one of the proud sponsors of America's Workforce. 
Connor Tobin, you serve as executive director. Talk to me a little bit more. I gave a little glimpse into the uh, Players Association. Talk to me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, kind of a weird entry point into uh, unionism, but uh, I myself played professional soccer for 12 years, mostly in the lower divisions here in the United States, and uh, as a player, witnessed a bunch of things that was less than ideal, and uh, myself, along with a group of older players, kind of said, we need to do something about this. None of us had any clue about unionism, but we said we're going to form a union now. Are six years later, and uh, we've created an organization. We've got the two different contracts covering two different leagues, and uh, yeah, figuring it out every day. <laughs> That's good. When you say less than ideal conditions, can you give me a little more on that? Because I, I, I imagine there's there's a lot we can talk about there. Oh, for sure. I mean, I I think you'd seen kind of a range of experiences. Uh, we had guys going from what I would classify as under minimum wage all the way up through guys in the league that were well into the six figures. Um, So range of things economically, a range of outcomes from medical treatments uh, through how clubs interacted with you. Uh, I mean, we saw instances where a club would decide, you know what, you're not a fit anymore. doesn't matter if you have a contract, we're just not going to pay you. Uh, So just a range of things going on and, uh, you know, the Players Union is really formed to give players a formal seat at the table and uh, ensure as U.S. soccer grows that we have an active voice in what this league is and where the sport is going. Now, you got your CBA. I see it was it's two years ago. You, uh, you reached an agreement in principle on a collective bargaining agreement. Um, how did that go? Was that pretty difficult? And I know the CWA helped you out on that one. Yeah, I mean... Uh, a lot of credit, and it's a unique ecosystem in the sense where we have a league, uh, but then each individual team operates as its own franchise and each standalone business. So the league actually gave us voluntary recognition way back in 2018 to represent the players at the second division level. Um, collective bargaining took nearly three years uh, to get to a contract. Um, really complicated negotiation because we were fabricating the, uh, an agreement basically having to go zero to one and completely design it to fit the business model and the economics that really was not a parallel to look at. Um, now, during that time, the league actually launched uh, a third division property. Uh, so we ended up getting recognition for that group and uh, got to a first contract for them actually last November. So we are in an umbrella group that has two different sets of bargaining units uh, and two different contracts now. Yeah, I see this is all posted on your website, by the way. It's uslplayers.org. There's like a media kit showing their mission, what they were able to accomplish, uh, 25% in 2022. And uh, we're talking a five-year contract that's going to go to 2025. Good stuff here. Well, let's switch gears and talk about this uh, on-rise telehealth provider that you partnered with to provide your players access to mental health programs. Let me ask you, about mental health in the soccer league. Uh, how are players doing? I, I would imagine. I mean, you're, you're in a game. There's ups and downs in the game. There's injuries. There's probably some degree of substance abuse. Tell me, what's what's going on? Yeah. What's going on and how you're handling it? Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of complications. Um, you know, 
I think everyone thinks uh, you're a professional athlete, you know, but, uh, you know, this is always a really exciting thing, which it is. Uh, it can be very difficult, particularly at this end of the sport um, where you're, you know, always fighting for your next contract. It's very transient. You know, oftentimes players have a one-year deal. You don't know where you're going to end up. And then you have the stress of trying to support a family, um, you know, while you're trying to get to a higher level. Um, so you have a range of things, not just from playing, but, you know, how does that career uh, interact with life outside of your job? Um, you know, it's something where, uh, quite frankly, you don't see a lot of guys play for even five, six years and they'll end up stepping away because those pressures are so uh, dramatic. So it was something as a uh, players association, we've always known kind of firsthand. It's always been one of the things that's been top of mind um, and as we've gotten going as an organization, it's when we start thinking about member benefits, uh, this was a huge gap in terms of the experience of players. So we were, we've always been kind of searching for the right way to provide uh, care to players um, and enhance kind of their experience for however long they're in the league. What about this um, on-rise telehealth provider that you partnered with? Was this something, was this your idea and, or did they come to you? Explain that part to me. Yeah, it was actually really interesting. You know, it's obviously something from a players association and that we were always kind of looking for the right fit. Um, now, you know, given the economics, what it costs to provide care, we've always needed to find the right partner. Um, OnRise actually reached out to us, you know, the beginning part of this year, while they were doing due diligence about partnering actually with one of the clubs in our league. Um, that conversation really unfolded, um, and it became clear that, you know, OnRise was an organization that, you know, went beyond, hey, we're here to make turn a profit. It was more mission-based. Um, and they were really, really clear about their goal. We want to actually move the needle in terms of player mental health care. Um, so we started talking structurally, you know, what are the hurdles to actually doing that? Uh, you know, whether that's trust of getting uh, health care service through your employer and, you know, what does it look to, like to have confidentiality? What does it look like to navigate maybe what I'll classify as player contract stability. You know, if you're ending up out of contract at the end of the year, it's really that off-season period that can be the hardest mentally for a lot of guys. So how do we provide care through that? And the more we talked, the more we kind of landed on, this really actually makes sense to house with the Players Association for a number of reasons. And, uh, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of OnRise and their willingness to really kind of co-create and pilot a program that is mission-based. And, and this is about people. It goes beyond the job. It goes beyond money. This is about how do we improve experiences for players. Now, it's my understanding you do have psychologists on your team. Is there, like, do they help or do they work with OnRise? How, how does that situation yeah. pan out? So, so OnRise is a telehealth company. Uh, it's structured very uniquely uh, in the sense that um, one is a great fit for us because we're, we cover 36 different markets across the United States. Players are always traveling. Um, don't always have time to find a local provider and schedule a visit and get in. Whereas, you know, because it's telehealth, you can schedule an appointment, call in, and you can do that while you're on the move. Uh, now, 
Onrise is structured in a way where they have player care specialists that would kind of deal with inbound uh, inquiries or needs. Um, so it's someone that you can always reach out and talk to. They have the ability and are trained to, I guess, elevate cases at, on like a need base. So, hey, do we need licensed clinical therapists for this? Well, we can set that up and get you into on, uh, reoccurring care. Um, now, if something is acute enough, they actually have licensed clinical psychologists uh, where if you need psychiatric care, they can go down that path. So it, it's a full range of mental health care services. But the way it's structured is you kind of have that uh, player care specialist that's really that first piece. Um, and a lot of times guys just need someone to talk to. So it, it can yeah. be solved just by knowing someone's there and someone's willing to listen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a comfort level there. Well, it's it's 100%. it's early on, but so far you feel it, it's working pretty well. I, I got that feeling in this conversation. Am I correct? Yeah, we. I mean, certainly there is a cultural aspect. Um, you know, given our players, I think there is uh, not just professional athletes, but uh, you know, quite honestly, the male psychology of breaking down that culture to get people to access care. Um, right. So that's something we've been chipping away at. Um, but we've seen since we piloted the program in May, a number of players reach out. Um, really cool that uh, we've had a hundred percent kind of response rate. If a player reaches out in a hundred percent of cases, they have gotten someone to talk to within 48 hours. Um, so that kind of speed of care has been, um, I think something that's been a tremendous benefit, but we've gotten feedback, uh, some players have access and just talking about, man, this has made a world of difference just in terms of my experience while I've been in the league. Um, so I think from a players association and really excited, we've had an ongoing discussion with OnRise about how we can continue to kind of move the needle culturally um, to get more players to understand that this is a resource and it's there for them. This is completely confidential. Your club, the league, the, even the players association, we don't even see who accesses this. So this is truly just there for you as a player. Connor Tobin joining us in our live line today. He is executive director of the Soccer League, the USL Players Association website, uslplayers.org. Connor, thank you so much for sharing what you're doing over there. Good luck to you and also all the members of the Soccer League Players Association. And please keep in touch with us, okay? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, another union perspective on suicide prevention. Our presenting sponsor, Labor's International. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.